0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, did you know that all prayer is not automatically acceptable to God? All prayer is not automatically acceptable to God. And and there's several places that this is talked about in the scriptures. There's two passages in particular One you just heard read. The other one comes from James. Let me read it to you. In James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him pray. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And here it is. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, last week we looked at what we'd call persistence in prayer, which was if you remember it was a story of a widow that kept going and saying, "Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice." And this unrighteous judge was just so sick of her asking that he finally just gave her justice. And then the point of the parable, he says this is an unrighteous judge. God is the righteous judge. Surely when his people come to him and ask and ask and ask and are persistent in prayer, surely the good judge will hear. That's the persistence in prayer. And the main point of that is keep on praying. For the person here that's praying for the salvation of their adult child and is just getting tired, just keep praying on praying for a health need that you're going I've been praying I've been praying I've been praying keep on praying and know that there's a God who hears now today and and what I want to be careful of is I want to make it sound I don't want to make it sound like I'm going to give you the formula that if you just do this, well now, you might have been doing it wrong, now do it right and now God is obligated to hear the prayer. That's not what we're talking about today. We are going to talk about, where we talked about the persistence of prayer, now we're going to hear about the posture of prayer. The posture of our hearts when we come before God. And what you just heard in James and what you see other places is when people come before God with the wrong posture, it means our prayer is not automatically acceptable to God. And you'll see that here in this text. He's going to talk about um, two different people that go, two guys that go and they pray in very different ways. This is a hypothetical he's giving. Um, they go to the temple to pray. And um, <clears throat> at the temple, there were certain times you prayed in certain ways and certain um, rituals you would perform and sacrifices and such. But also the temple, people could just go pray constantly. And it was just sort of, um, there were people there offering prayer uh, all the time. So if you remember in Luke chapter 2, um, Anna is a woman. She was a widow who came and it says, She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So, for Jesus to say these two people went to pray, they would go, Oh, yeah, we see that all the time. They would have understood that, that context. And he starts out by giving us the audience of the parable and really a bit of the point of the parable. In verse 9, it says, he, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, keep in mind, you and I know this little bit of backstory. But he doesn't stop and go, I'm going to tell you a parable about uh, some people trusting in themselves and some that treat others with contempt. He's just going to start the parable. We know the backstory. We know why he's actually doing this. And here's what he says. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now remember, let's pretend we're them and we don't know the point that he's about to make to say somebody is trusting in themselves and their own righteousness. And they treat other people with contempt, because we probably know in 2022, we might go, oh, I bet that's the Pharisee, because that's what the Pharisees are known for, is trusting in their own righteousness. In that day, they would have heard, um, there's there's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector, two people going to pray. The Pharisee's the good guy, the tax collector's the bad guy. The Pharisee, in that day, they looked and saw like righteousness walking, piousness walking throughout. Now, there was probably a little bit of, we're sort of sick of these Pharisees. We get these Pharisees are hypocrites. If you really watch, you can start to see, it feels like it's all external. But in their day, Rome would look at the Pharisees and what they would uh, wear how they would conduct themselves in the public square. Um, They would look at how they would give to the poor. They would look at how they would fast and let everybody know they were fasting. They would um, pray publicly and let everybody see that they're praying and use big flowery words. And you would look and you would go, I assume what Jesus is about to do is hold up the Pharisees as the example of righteousness and a tax collector. Many of you know, we've talked about this, but tax collectors... Um, were about the worst of the worst in that day, at least to the hearers. They were sort of the lowest of the low. They were the ones, if you remember, Rome would go to a city, and they would find somebody in that city, and they would say, "Um, we need this much tax from you, whatever that number is, and then you can charge whatever you want on top of that, and they would extort people like crazy. There's stories of them crucifying people who don't pay the ridiculous amount of tax, and Rome didn't care as long as they got their money. So they go to a city to find somebody who's willing to betray their own people, to betray their neighbors, to take taxes from them, and if they don't get them, Rome said, you can kind of do whatever you want as long as we get our money from them. So do you hear who the good guy and the bad guy would would be in the story in their mind? Pharisee, tax collector. They would go religious, righteous, pious, Pharisee. Gross, disgusting, sellout, traitor of a tax collector. It would almost be like, I don't know a good parallel. If I were telling you today, if I were to say, uh, um, two people went to pray, uh, Billy Graham and Ted Bundy. Billy Graham and Jack the Ripper. It's probably not, there's probably not a great parallel, but you, you would immediately go, okay, well, I, know, I think I know who the good guy is gonna be in this story. The Pharisees must be the ones that get it right. Tax collectors must be the ones that get it wrong. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, I could sort of get it if a Pharisee was maybe being grateful for his life, like if he's looking around at people and going, God, thank you for the work that you have done in my life, that you know, I look at people that have less or that are less fortunate, but that's not what he's doing. I thank you. I am not like them. This is self-righteousness that this Pharisee is standing, and we know that because it says, "I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get." So we think of tithes of all that I get. Um, it, probably what they're saying is, is they're exceeding the law of God that is even required of them. Like if you were to go by grain, the person who who has the crop would tithe off of that. And then once you bought it, you didn't really have to tithe off of that. That was a purchase that you would have. And it seems like the Pharisees, and we can see through other texts, what they did, even what they got, they would go, we are going to tithe off of this as well. This is in the, um, in the Gospels. It says they tithe mint, dill, and cumin. This is, um, this is the, the, the segmenting out of all their little spices, like to the tiniest degree. They are saying we are keeping the law and not just keeping the law, We are exceeding the law. He talks about fasting twice a week. You didn't have to fast twice a week. The only time you had to, had to fast that I can see, there's once a year in the Day of Atonement, but there's several other times throughout the year in the Old Testament, the Jewish law, where um, fasting is, is voluntary, fasting is recommended, and it's also just seen as a good spiritual practice. But if you remember what happened in that day is the Pharisees were out, they were fasting, and they would walk around, oh, woe is me, I'm fasting in case anybody's wondering, and they would just try and look like miserable. That is not a fast before God. That is a fast so you can see. And people can go, wow, look at them. They are fasting. And he says, I'm doing it twice a week. Doing it even more than I have to. I'm tithing off everything I get. Doing even more than I have to. I'm so glad that I'm me. God, aren't you glad that I'm me that's, what he's, that's not what I'm saying. Sorry, that's what he's saying. Look at how good I am. I am glad I'm so good. So what is his sin that he is committing? What is wrong with him in this moment? You can kind of see it because I'm embellishing it a little bit. But he is standing before God and he is bragging to God about how holy and righteous he is. Do you see the problem with that? I'm going to stand before God and go, God, I know your law and I am exceeding it. Like, I would love to go, I would love to go back, be a fly on the wall, talk to some Pharisees and go, hey, how do you think you would have done in the Garden of Eden if God said, hey, there's only one law that you have to keep? Don't eat from this thing. And I guarantee, like, based on what we see here, they would probably go, oh, piece of cake. Are you kidding? There's like 600 and we keep them all. And then we've just added a whole bunch as well so we can be even more righteous than the people that just keep the law of God. And he is standing before God and saying, I'm so glad that I am me and I'm not him or him or him or him or him. He is saying, I am better than them. Trusting in his own righteousness Before God. Can we ever do this? That's the question. I'm trying to see, was this just something for the first century or something for us today? I'd say at least a couple ways that come to mind for me. First of all, um, for someone who might not be a Christian, um, oftentimes uh, someone who's not a Christian or someone who hasn't heard the gospel properly about what God has done through his son Jesus Christ, we can think um, I need to hit some certain mark of righteousness that um, like, like God has set some standard and I need to be sure to hit over that and I can't be under that. And if I'm just good enough, then someday I guess, wherever this mark is, at the end of my life, I will stand before him and he'll look and go, you are above the mark. That is standing before God with our own resumes and our own righteousness. And I gotta tell you, it is so much more glorious than that. What God has done through Jesus Christ In fact, the whole point of the gospel is to say you and I cannot keep the law perfectly, but we have one that came. He did keep the law perfectly. I'll show you in a minute the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin fell on him on the cross, and when I stand before God, I am not putting up my righteousness against the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. I am gonna stand and say, I don't have any righteousness in and of myself, but I have the righteousness of your son Jesus Christ because I've trusted in him and what he has done for me. That's how we stand before God. But I, I think also, even for, even for Christians sometimes, we can think, I know how I'm saved and everything, but I feel like I'm pretty good and I feel like I'm owed. You ever had a thought like, why is it, why is it my neighbor who's an atheist seems to have more joy, more peace, more success? Why, why aren't they having to go through the things that I'm going through? Or <clears throat> why is this Christian who, maybe a marginal Christian, like they say they're a Christian, they're not really living that life, and maybe looking at them and going, they feel, they look like they're happy, their kids look like they're doing well, and I feel like I'm, I'm stressed more often. Why, why, why is that happening? Standing before God in our own righteousness and expecting our righteousness earns us something before God. It's a prayer that demands that God respond to whatever it is that we want instead of simply requesting from him and being grateful that the God of the universe is bending his ear to hear our prayer. This happens sometimes in our pride. God, you owe me. God, I deserve this. I pray demanding a response, and then if he doesn't respond in the way that I want, in the time that I want, I might even question the character of God, and I might even say, I'm gonna quit with that whole persistence in prayer thing. It doesn't seem to be working. I thought if I you know, put a quarter in the magic God machine, then he was gonna spit it back out exactly what I wanted, and it's not working, and so I've gotta find something else besides prayer. That is putting a demand on God. That is demanding that a holy God do what the unholy desires. Remember, um, if you need a good book to read, read the book of Job sometime. Job, who was righteous, and uh, and so Satan came to God and said, he's only righteous because of all the stuff you give him. And so God says, go ahead, Satan, do your worst. He limits him a little bit, but do your worst. And so he goes, and Job just started just this process of losing a lot of things that he had because Satan says, he only loves you, God, because of the things that you give him. If I take those things, he will reject you. And God says, let's see about that. Which if I were Job, I might go, wait, what now? <laughs> Remember what his wife said right at the beginning? She said, do you still hold fast your integrity? He's having these calamities hit him, and he says, I will not renounce God. And she says, do you still hold fast your integrity? And this is what his wonderful sportive wife says. She says, curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive the good from God and not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He's essentially saying there's going to be good and there is going to be bad. And I will praise the name of God no matter what. I kind of think about it like this. Imagine um, we got some grandparents here. Grandparents say you got a little grandson and you're on, you're on you're on grandma duty that day and uh, wake up in the morning and the uh, your grandson comes to you and you go what would you like for breakfast and he says ice cream and you go let me rephrase the question I'm going to give you three choices for breakfast you can have eggs you can have cereal you can have pancakes which one of those three would you like Well, now what's happened is he's already got ice cream in his mind and all these other things that would have been perfectly fine before he doesn't like. And so what is the conversation about? Why can't I have ice cream? And as an adult, we are hearing this conversation and we are going, I can't believe I have to explain this to you, but it's a child. And so there's something about you can't have ice cream for breakfast. Good luck explaining that and making it make sense to a child, by the way. who really wants some ice cream. But as a parent or grandparent, you would be going, I know this is bad for you. I know this is not healthy. And the kid is going to go, why? But why? But why? But why? And listen, whatever gap in wisdom or knowledge there is between that kid or grandkid and you, the chasm between us and God in wisdom is infinitely more. We need to remember that when we come before him. God, you know best, but here's my request before you. So that's the wrong way to do it. What's the right way? The tax collector's the good guy in this one. How about that? But the tax collector, standing far off, didn't even make it all the way up there to the temple, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, let me read it again. The tax collector, standing far off. Get his posture that he has. He, he's looking at everybody else going to the temple, and something in his mind goes, I ain't good enough to walk up there. And so he stands far off. And other people that are probably looking up like this to the heavens, he goes, I can't even stop and look up to God right now. And so he, he won't even lift up his eyes, and he's beating his breast like this, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a guy who understood who God was and he understood his place before God. He understood the right posture that we're supposed to have when you come to God in prayer. In fact, what he says here, it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The word merciful is translated later in Hebrews as this word propitiation. That's an English word, propitiation, but it's not a very commonly used word, but it's a good theological word that means God's wrath being appeased, and God's judgment on the sinner is now averted. God's wrath is appeased, and God's God's judgment on the sinner is averted. So really what he is crying out to God for, as he is walking forward, he is well aware of his sin, and he is crying out and saying, be my propitiation. He is saying, I can't handle your wrath that I rightly deserve. He is crying out for salvation. He's crying out for a Savior. He understands the holiness of God, the unholiness of himself, the chasm in between, and that he cannot possibly bridge that gap. This is humility as he comes before God. This is rightly understanding our relationship with God. It says in Hebrews, let me show you, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That Jesus is the one that went to the cross and the wrath of God fell on him at the cross. That the judgment of God that should fall to me fell to Jesus at the cross. There's a very ironic thing about this text. The call from the text is to pray with all humility to understand our place before God. The first guy goes up and says, I'm pretty good. In fact, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. Look at all the great things I do. Oh, God, you're so lucky to have me. And the second guy can't even walk up there, can't even look up, and just says, "Uh, um, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the point of what he's trying to say, if we talked about the persistence of prayer last week, this is the posture of prayer that we come before God. We come before God um, in the greatest of humility. One of the ways that this has come out in my own life that I thought I'd mention is and some of you at Bible studies may realize I've been doing this quite a bit lately. Um, I've started adding the word beg to my prayer vocabulary. Instead, uh, and this is, this is just something that can kind of help in my own heart, I think, which is, um, which is when I am praying to God, instead of just saying, God, heal so-and-so, what, if I just change it a little bit and say, God, what I do, I, I beg of you right now that you would heal this person it does something in my mind, it does something in my heart that reminds me who I am before God, that I, I'm a, essentially a beggar before him that deserves nothing from him, but I'm coming to him and saying, God, if you would even listen, if you would be so gracious to grant this request, I'm gonna beg of you. Do, do, a, do a work among us here at this church. Do a work in everybody's lives here at this church. I, I say every Sunday morning, I use the word supernatural too. I say, God, I beg of you that you would do a supernatural work among us today. That's what I'm I'm crying out to him. So when I start to say, God, I beg this of you, it's, it's a subtle way, it's a subtle way of switching a word that helps me remember my relationship before him, who he is and who I am. And you can tell what he says in verse 14. He says, I tell you this, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, so here's the ironic thing I was getting to a minute ago. How do we pray? We pray with humility. How do you get humility? Pray. See the problem? I need humility to pray, but I have to pray in order to get humility, so I'm not sure it's a chicken egg situation of which one I'm gonna be supposed to do first. I'm just gonna offer this, and this might be a little, a little difficult um, because we, we don't like doing anything that's not authentic, and if you're feeling like I do feel some pride, I don't wanna feel that pride, instead of going I need to break down my own pride before I'm willing to pray, to instead just pray. And listen, I, I get at the beginning it might feel like, am I being inauthentic a little bit because I'm supposed to be praying in humility and I don't really, I don't really feel that yet? Here's a real simple thing to do. Just pray. And at the beginning of your prayer, you can say, God, humble me. God, break me of my pride. God, would you, would you just expose the arrogance in my life? I need humility, and I am not the source of humility. I'm the problem here. Would you, by your grace, I beg of you, give me humility. Make me a humble man. Make me a humble woman as I'm before you in prayer pray 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 when we pray we can remember what god has done in his son jesus christ and that in and of itself is more than we ever deserve anything else he does is gravy it's remarkable we've we've come to just expect it as opposed to just say what you have done for me through the gospel of jesus christ nothing more needed you wanna know a real simple way that we can apply this? this? This one came to mind this week. Here it is. I'm gonna give you something that you're gonna hear it and you're gonna go, that doesn't seem too challenging. I know, it's easy. I hope you do it. Pray 30 more seconds. Pray 30 more seconds than you do right now. So a couple groups here. One, people going, I, I honestly don't pray. So you're like zero. Your goal, is 30 seconds. And you know what, if, if you were like me when I really kinda of started learning to pray and stuff, um, maybe the first little bit when you were praying, you go, I'm, I, I'm glad nobody but God heard that. That sounded really just ridiculous. Just keep on praying. Imagine, just 30 more seconds. And I know most people, like when we pray, we don't put a timer on or anything like that. But, I, but some people pray, you know, depending on what you're doing, two or three minutes, something like that. Some people pray for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, something like that. I, there's, there's people here that will pray, pray for an hour. That's what they do. They set aside that time to pray. Here's all I'm asking. When you pray and you just sort of feel your rhythm like, okay, I'm gonna say amen, go about 30 more seconds. And you know what, I've, I've actually started doing this. And you know what I've found? is just when I think I've exhausted all the things that I need to say and I'm ready to get on with my day, when I just go, hang on. There's adjectives about God that come to mind that didn't before. There's requests for myself, for other people, for my family, that I hadn't thought about before. There are things to be thankful for that I just hadn't thought about before. And if I really have that discipline to just go, let me, get, let me, do, let me just do 30 more seconds than I've done. It's a real precious 30 seconds. So do it. How's that for directness? Do it. 30 seconds a day. Think of it like this. Think of what could happen. There's about 300 of us here next hour online. Say say about 300 of us. Oh, actually, probably more than that. I I just used the number 300. If 300 of us say, I will just pray whatever I'm praying now, zero or two hours a day, whatever it is, I'm going to just pray for 30 more seconds. That would be um, every day. Just from those 300 people, we will have collectively spent two and a half hours more every day in prayer. I wonder what God would do. Over a year, that would be everybody at Rockland collectively praying 55,000 more minutes. Or that would be like somebody, if only one person did that and took all that time and just got on their knees and began to pray, the the amount of time that it would be for an entire year, if we all added 30 seconds and one person did it, they would be on their knees praying for 38 days. What would God do if we as a community, 30 seconds a day, prayed for more than a month solid for an entire year. That's what I wanna be a part of.